Welcome to the second installment of Unfucking Quickies. These quickies are inter-episode featurettes of sorts, where we dip our pinky toe into three different but related things happening right now. If you're new to Unfucking the Republic, perhaps joining us from Best of the Left or the David Pakman Show, and are unfamiliar with us, know that quickies are a little bit of a departure from the norm. So make sure to check out one of our longer formats, or all of them. Just go back to the beginning of the feed in early October of 2020 and binge them all. Back to when we didn't know who the next president would be, if there ever really would be a vaccine, or anything about the be a clown trend on TikTok. <laughs> you had to look that up, didn't you? <laughs> Shut up. I'm hip. Mm, okay. The fact that you're using the word hip shows just how unhip you actually are. Can I get through this, please? Yeah, sure. And we're rolling. Thank you. Well, in this quickie, we're taking a look at a developing phenomenon related to Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. In reality, it's an age-old issue that all powerful women experience. But in the case of AOC, it's beginning to morph. The three separate things happening to AOC take the form of detractors from conservative, moderate, and progressive circles. Related because they all have one thing in common, which should become painfully clear. We'll return in a few days with a regular unfucking, though we still have show notes at the conclusion of this episode featuring listener interactions, pod love, and book love, where we highlight other great content we think unfuckers would enjoy. You can join the conversation between episodes by becoming a subfucker at unftr.substack.com or get in touch with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or by emailing us at unftrpod at gmail.com. And for our subfuckers, we have a special show announcement coming soon that will be sent to you first. Remember that we'll never charge for Substack membership. And with that, let's begin with the tale of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez as Hercules and the most challenging of her labors, the lying men Hydra. When the world is a mean and nasty little place, finding the truth can be a little tricky. Don't go punch yourself in the face, just listen to an unfucking quickie. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Justice is not a concept we read about in a book. Justice is about the water we drink. Justice is about the air we breathe. Justice about is about how easy it is to vote. Justice is about how much ladies get paid. This is the story of true love and Princess Buttercup, who... Ah, fuck. Wrong story. Hang on. Ah, yes. This is a modern interpretation of Hercules son of Zeus and his human mistress, who was destined to live a tortured life at the hands of Hera, Zeus's wife and sister. It was a different time, who loathed his very existence. Hercules, a demigod living between two worlds, committed the sin of murdering his family, caused by Hera inflicting him with temporary madness. His punishment was to perform 12 labors, none more difficult and dangerous than facing Hera's pet and protector of the underworld, the dreaded Linnaean Hydra. According to legend, the Hydra possessed one immortal head and several other toxic spewing heads that would cripple foes with its very breath, 
before devouring them indiscriminately. Every time Hercules severed one of its heads, two would grow back in its place. The legend of Hercules and the Linnaean Hydra continues today in the form of our modern-day heroine, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, tortured daughter of the immortal expectations of our political system and human parents who bore her on this earth. This is the story of AOC's battle against the three heads of the American political system, the Lying Men Hydra. Grandpa, this sounds boring. Is anything good in the story? Fencing, fighting, torture, revenge, giants, monsters, chases, escapes, true love, miracles. We begin our tale with the most obvious of all her foes, the most toxic of all the heads on the Hydra, the conservative white male. Grandpa, I'm scared. Don't be scared. Remember, above all, this is a story of true love. Now let's see. For centuries, conservative white men dominated the American kingdom and brutalized all who would dare challenge them. And Ms. Ocasio-Cortez, please come on my Fox show on Sunday. I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you about capitalism versus Marxism and socialism. I want to talk to you about some of your ideas. I know you go to these slobbering interviews and so forth. I promise to be respectful, have enough guts and enough intelligence, because my theory, Sean Hannity, is this. She is a media creation. That's all she is. For some reason, conservative men just love inviting AOC to debate them. I would pay money to Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez's campaign to debate Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. I would pay her money to come on the Sunday special. I would give money to her campaign if it meant that she would actually come on the Sunday special and answer some serious questions. I love this. They're all like, You are a thoughtless turd ruining America. I invite you to come on my show and debate me. You with your red lipstick and fiery Latina blood. I've watched that video of you dancing in college a thousand times. In slow motion. Alone on my laptop when my wife is asleep. So I think you should put on your high heels. Take that hair out of a bun and stomp on my dick on live television because this talk show host has been a very naughty boy. Oh, mommy, mommy, mommy. Of course, conservative white male pundits are having a field day calling out AOC. She's the best thing that has happened to them since a black guy won the presidency. In reality, she is the perfect foil for them because it doesn't take much to whip up antipathy among their supporters who look talk, and breathe like them. She's everything they've been taught to hate over the years. Strong, young, brown, female, smart, and powerful. Plus, she represents an urban area in a hated liberal state and can speak the language of dangerous immigrants stolen across the border. Conservative white men with platforms easily shifted the narrative on her right out of the gate and started to pick away at her strongest characteristics, like Rush attacking her intelligence. She routinely demonstrates, this is, it's, 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 Fascinating to study this. She routinely demonstrates her ignorance. I'm not, I'm trying to be nice here. I'm not calling it stupidity. Although, but I'm not. I'm going to chalk it up to ignorance. They all employ the same tactic, by the way. Rush, Hannity, Levin, and as you'll hear next, Tucker Carlson, 
They begin by praising her for being strong and idealistic, then shamelessly mansplain why she's so utterly dangerous. Here's an example. This is Tucker starting a lengthy segment on AOC. So there's a reason she's famous. It's not just hype. She's impressive in a lot of ways. And even if you disagree with her, you ought to admit that. He goes on to praise her strength and determination for a couple of minutes before arguing that AOC is essentially a racist responsible for ripping the country apart. So going forward, here's a plea to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Keep saying what you think is true. Keep taking jabs at the establishment in Washington. Even those of us who disagree with you will cheer you on. But my gosh, please, for the sake of the country and the children you don't yet have, please stop attacking people for the color of their skin. They can't change who they are and neither can you. We all have to live here together anyway, and we won't be able to if you keep this up. So we know this playbook. Praise woman for being strong, then show woman why she wrong. The right eats this shit up which is why they can run this play over and over and over again with great success. Move the X's and O's around the chalkboard for a slightly different formation, and you get a different head on the same Hydra. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is already making enemies in the House Democratic Caucus, and some of its members are mounting an operation to bring the anti-establishment Democratic Socialists with 2.2 million Twitter followers into the fold. The effort, described by nearly 20 lawmakers and aides, is part carrot, part stick. Some lawmakers with ties to Ocasio-Cortez are hoping to coax her into using her star power to unite Democrats and turn her fire on Republicans. Others simultaneously warn Ocasio-Cortez is destined for a lonely, ineffectual career in Congress if she continues to treat her own party as the enemy. As a New Yorker, I don't need a whole bunch of clips for this one. I'm surrounded by well-meaning, but exhausting at times, corporate Democrats who really did pull the Biden lever because they thought it was safe. And it would get Professor Orange Von Fucknugget out of the White House. And it was better than socialism. And it would be just like Obama. As obvious as conservatives are in their playbook is as blind as Democrats are to reform. I know it's trite at this point to say that Democrats and Republicans are the same. Neither camp likes to hear that. But if you want to bring out the inner Republican in any Democrat, just ask them how they feel about AOC. The anger is real. She's stupid. She's childish and unreasonable. Her inexperience is going to ruin the party. So because I'm of a certain age, I still use Facebook unironically. I keep in touch with people there. I belong to a few groups. And I genuinely enjoy the lighter side of it when asshats aren't trying to cancel one another. So this isn't scientific, but I can testify to the fact that the most vitriolic, spiteful, and venomous posts from my Democrat friends throughout the presidential campaign weren't directed at Trump. The real animus in their souls was saved for Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez. She's fucking this up for everyone. If Bernie wins the nomination, it's her fault because we'll have another four years of Trump. If Biden loses, it'll be her fault. And of course, when Biden won, they didn't paint it as a victory. It was in spite of AOC's efforts to tear the party down. When Democrats didn't increase the number of seats in the House, it was all her fault. Of course, every progressive running for a House seat won. So the only seats that were lost were lost by moderate Democrats. But Democrats simply cannot connect these dots. Between 65 and 70 percent of Americans support universal health care. Support for gun ownership background checks is nearly 90 percent. 
the majority of Americans support the legalization of weed, the Green New Deal, ending endless wars, and believe that climate change is an existential threat and crisis. Only 6% of Americans believe that no changes are required to how we police. So when corporate Democrats don't run on these fucking issues and then lose, they still blame AOC. Which makes perfect fucking sense. Here's where shit starts to get a little dicey. There's a developing trend among progressives with platforms to criticize AOC and even Bernie. It's pretty wild. A lot of this sentiment is being stirred up by commentators like Lee Camp and Jimmy Dore, who have a history of calling out bullshit when they see it. When they, along with serious journalists like Glenn Greenwald and Chris Hedges, started to pile on, that's when I really started to take notice myself. Bernie Sanders, AOC, they are Obama 2.0. There's no doubt. They are there. They will go along with the corporation no, no matter what. If they're told to, they're revealing it. Because right now, AOC is doing live streams where she rants about the bill, but she only rants against the Republicans. She doesn't rant against the person who has the power in the House, which is Nancy Pelosi. That's true, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, with with, with a two party system, if you stay in the Democratic Party, your only choice is going to be to succumb to it. You're going to be a fucking good soldier the way Bernie is, the way AOC is. You know, you're going to get behind Biden and Kamala and they're going to let you for a couple months, like talk a good game every now and then. But they know at the end of the day, you're going to snap into line. And if you don't, you're not going to get anything. Um, so, yeah, I don't see how that kind of reform is possible within the party. I really don't. I wish I did. And for a long time I did. But I've, I've concluded and AOC was like kind of my last hope. Yeah, me too. So when I well, I haven't heard Hedges explicitly call out AOC. He has allowed arguments about weakened progressivism to include her. Greenwald is just going for it. What Greenwald, Hedges, Dorr, and Camp all have in common is an unmitigated disdain for compromise of any kind. Camp and Dorr are a different breed because they rely on pushing the boundaries. They're both comedians by training who have morphed into the outspoken conscience of the far left. In the case of Greenwald and Hedges, you're talking about two massively influential journalists who are so unrelenting in their criticisms that they can't function in a world outside of their own self-contained creation. Greenwald co-founded The Intercept and then publicly quit because he felt they were in the tank for Biden. Hedges was the star writer for Truthdig, another outlet funded by a wealthy person, which pulled the plug when he and others attempted to unionize. So for Glenn, it's Substack for now, and for Chris, it's his books. The reason I'm explaining where they might be coming from is that when you have a Hedges or a Greenwald start lobbing bombs at sacred cows in the progressive world, it's important to take note. AOC has garnered support from unlikely places that undoubtedly irk progressives. Hillary Clinton, Neera Tanden, Nancy Pelosi have all now publicly stood behind her. She was given a position on two important committees, financial services and oversight and government reform. So I guess that makes her a sellout? She raised a fuck ton of dough during the last election cycle, albeit 80% from small donations of under $200, but I guess that makes her a player. She didn't kill the entire Recovery Act unless it included the federal minimum wage increase, so I guess that makes her spineless? Of course, she's one of 535 people in the whole of Congress and only in her second term, but why not place the entirety of the progressive agenda squarely and solely on her shoulders? You know, if only I could find a common theme here. If only I could somehow bring this home. Thank you, man. 
Let me tell you something about AOC. AOC is a working class, proud Latina woman from an urban area. Taken individually, she represents what appears to be marginalized groups. But when you look at the whole of who she is, the sum of these disparate parts, she represents possibly the broadest coalition of voters in the United States, and those numbers are only growing, not shrinking. AOC is all of us. And with that, we've thrust upon her the expectations of Hercules indeed, with her labors being all of our labors. We didn't elect her as a monarch. Progressives have some bizarre expectation that, upon election to the largest representative body in the country, one of 435 people from Alaska to the Everglades, that she, and only she, has the power to outnumber the other 434 and usher in swift change without ever bending. No compromise is acceptable. It's as though the only acceptable act she could perform in a body built on the very idea of compromise is self-immolation on the floor of Congress to make a point that no one will ever reach the impossible standard of the progressive left, of which I'm a proud fucking member. Corporate Democrats would stand around her burning flesh, fanning the flames and pointing at her as if to say, see, we told you she'd flame out. As Ashley Reese recently wrote in Jezebel, this is the only way that men on the left with platforms and influence seem to be able to talk about Ocasio-Cortez now. And while all of this is going down, conservatives and Republicans would sit back and sip martinis poured by lobbyists and gloat in the fact that they knew all along they wouldn't have to lift a finger to help liberals eat their young and shit them out. AOC isn't the culmination of the fight, she's the fucking beginning. The tip of the spear forged in the would-be revolution started by Bernie Sanders. She's the first of the warriors on the front lines that represents hope in a two-party system. And if you think for a second that a third party in this country is an actual possibility, that the mechanisms of power would allow for such parties to acquire funding, gain stature on ballots, and build ground game momentum from nothing, you're living in a fucking fantasy. And I have not just one bridge to sell you, but a bridge to Terabithia, Hades, and a special one to Nowheresville, USA, where the corpse of Don Quixote awaits with the hopes and dreams of Ralph Nader, Howard Zinn, and Noam Chomsky. And guess what? These are my heroes. I love and adore them. But loving their ideals and working toward achieving them through coalition building and compromise are not mutually exclusive. These are intellectuals who exist outside of the political sphere for a reason. AOC instead determined her path would be inside the system, and by doing so, she decidedly took the more difficult path if the outcome you desire is change. This is a complicated system that allows as much time and breathable air to AOC as it does a fuck-breath psychopath as Matt Gates or a dim-witted carp-mouth shitstick like Marjorie Taylor Greene. There is no straight line from A to fucking B. Just a long, seemingly impossible road littered with terrifying foes with access to money. So much fucking money. A willingness to literally ruin the lives and potential of anyone who stands in the way of the status quo. But that's not good enough for progressives. And any movement towards progress terrifies the careerist millionaires that are today's congressional Democrats. And of course, it's anathema to those on the right who profess admiration for a time in our nation when black people were enslaved, women had no rights, and poor people were told their circumstances were either preordained or of their own doing. Tearing down a bright light like AOC is bad business. 
We should be putting her on our shoulders. No one, and I mean no one who makes a difference in this world, escapes unscathed by the dreaded demon of compromise. We laud those who maintain a perfect view of the world and carve out a meager but principled existence, but the truth is no one is perfect when they're trying to get something done. Let's look across the spectrum and beyond the so-called squad at other members of Congress. Take Ro Khanna, California congressman who is nearly identically aligned with AOC, or Earl Blumenauer of Oregon, who defends the rights of Palestinians, supports the Green New Deal, advocates for Medicare for All, and got his 15 minutes of fame for supporting end-of-life counseling, which provoked Sarah Palin to make it a campaign issue that Democrats were trying to create death panels for old people. Where's the vitriol over them? Let me think. What do Glenn Greenwald and Jimmy Dore Chris Hedges and Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity, Ben Shapiro and Mark Levin and seemingly every other fucking AOC critic on the right and left have in common. God, I just can't put my finger on it. Oh, that's right. White cocks. They all have white cocks. I have a white cock, but for some reason I'm able to see clearly that AOC was elected as one of 435 U.S. representatives, not some fucking immortal sent here to liberate the world from darkness with a wave of a fucking wand. As for establishment Democrats, AOC's original sin was murdering one of their own. Popular establishment insider figure Joe Crowley, who was by all accounts well-liked, affable, and played the inside game, was unceremoniously booted in AOC's surprise first election. Poor Joe, they said. A good man, they said. Solid Democrat, they said. I'm sure he was all of these things. He was also guilty of playing so much inside baseball that he forgot to put the time in his district and was blindsided by someone who remembered that it's about the people you represent, not the power you wield to maintain the status quo. And so what became of poor old loyal Joe? Joe, the solid blue Democrat. Well, he did what any good former politician would do. He became a lobbyist. You see, to corporate Democrats, that's a perfectly reasonable, respectable, and logical thing to do. But AOC, taking up the progressive mantle and fighting for her constituents? Bad girl. Bad, bad girl. The power of AOC to weather withering criticism from the left, middle, and the right is in and of itself a superpower. And there are plenty who still support her, as I'm sure many unfuckers do. But in our haste to make her the inflection point for all of the ills we perceive at any point along the spectrum, my fear is that we'll chip away at her power and her aura until she inevitably raises the fuck this shit flag. AOC looks like the future, she sounds like the future, she acts with the future in mind in all she says and does. And if we make perfect, or whatever version of perfect we all maintain as individuals, the enemy of greatness we risk losing one of the brightest lights in our sick and corrosive political system. And so just as Hercules found that when he severed one of the heads of the Linnaean Hydra, two more would appear in its place, AOC's detractors seemingly double whenever she fights for something she believes in. Thankfully, Hercules discovered the secret to defeating the Hydra was to cauterize the neck so two heads couldn't grow back. The lesson here is not to silence criticism. That's dangerous and not at all what I'm suggesting. It's to guard against armchair male privilege that sets irrational expectations and shines a light so brightly on a rising star that it extinguishes its promise. Myriad labors await AOC, but if she dies in the swamp from the venom of the Hydra, the loss won't only belong to her, it will belong to us all. Here endeth the lesson. Little 
Hercules. Show me muscle again. Oh, Hercules, Hercules, Hercules. Wait, Grandpa, how did it end? Hopefully it doesn't, sweetie. Hopefully this isn't the end, but the beginning. This is one of those stories that's still being written. Written for little girls like you, who will grow into bright young women like AOC and carry her mantle into a better and more accepting world. I like that. Show do I, sweetie. Show do I. Hey, unfuckers and subfuckers, we got some shit to get to here. I hope you enjoyed this quickie on AOC. You actually should call this a not-so-quickie. Leave me alone. Anyway, y'all have been pretty, pretty, pretty active of late. Apparently, there's a lot of love for the mass incarceration episode as it's the fastest-growing episode that we've ever had. That makes my heart sing because it's a meaty one and the injustice is so palpable and overwhelming. So I'm glad that it landed well, and I hope that you get a chance to check out some of the great resources we shared in that show. Coming up, we have a couple of, I hope, killer shows on corporate taxation and infrastructure, Julian Assange, and some other shit that I'm pretty mad about. But first, let's talk about coffee. Michael L., another awesome new listener, courtesy of Jay and Amanda at Best of the Left, supported the show by buying us coffee at unftrpod.com. Thank you, Michael. But dig this, so did Cohen from Belgium. He also bought the team a bunch of fucking coffee. Fucking Belgium. That's in Jersey, right? About halfway down the turnpike? And not to be undone, Matt A. bought the team coffee, called us unfucking awesome and said he listens to each episode twice. Ba-boom! There's some shit starting to happen on the Facebooks, I'll tell you. Manuel G., Sarah J., Michael R., Suzanne J., Mike C., that's Mike with a Y, Rich V., E and I, Scott C., Hannah D., Lara E., Greg L., Lala M., Don H., David Dean A., Carol H., and Charles M. all just joined the party over there. Much love to each of you for following us and sharing our shit. You're joining the ranks of loyal posters like Debbie L. and my girl Nettie M. Keeping a watchful eye over Outagamie County in the great state of Wisco, baby. Hopping over to the Twitters, we'd like to welcome Alex P., Shamar H., Darren C., Sanjay K., J. Boogie, Lara E., who is killing it all over social media for us, Kevin M., Drew R., Donnell M., and Mr. Willfully Confused to the fold. And to my subfuckers, holy shit, literally too many new signups to mention here, but I promise we're going to be sending love your way directly with announcements and some extra content not meant for audio along the way. Now, as you know, reviews are the lifeblood of any show because it's how we show up and get noticed on the platforms. And unfuckers are really giving us the love there and giving us a shot to get into more earballs. So thank you for taking the time to leave us a review. Goathead Triple X, who said this should be required listening before entering Congress. Can you imagine? Like before candidates are screened, they're locked in a room and forced to listen to the full archive of unfucking the Republic. Ah, a girl can dream. Kendall G, who gave a great review and an admonition. Please keep perspective. Don't let the response to the podcast keep you from focusing on the objective equality. Kendall, I'm old enough to have perspective, I promise you. And to have also been beaten down enough that humility will not be hard to achieve. I promise no matter how many unfuckers we bring into the fold, and I hope it's millions, sorry, I will keep perspective and argue for what's right. And Cap from Cali, who came to us from our incredible friends at Best of the Left, Thank you for recommending this to, quote, everyone you know. I love it. Get them all on board the unfucking train because we got more unfucking to do. Time for pod love. So many of you came to us from best of the left. See, they knew our mutual friends at Newsbeat, so when I played the show for them and asked whether I could promote it on best of the left, 
They took me at my word that Unfucking the Republic would be a solid show in the vein of what they'd already heard and that we would, you know, do our best to do justice to the subject matter that we were tackling. So why does this matter? Let me just say that they weren't the only pods I reached out to. And I discovered quickly that not everyone is up to collaborating or helping shows get off the ground. And I was just trying to advertise. But I get it. Audiences are hard-earned. And Jay and Amanda thought we had something to say, and they opened the door for Unfucking the Republic to find you. So here's my pod love ask for this week. Support them. Take out a membership. Dig this. They've been doing this for 15 years. 15 fucking years. It's exhausting work, but it's necessary. Take out a membership today if you haven't already. Now for book love, I'm digging back into the archive here as I revisited a classic recently, and I can't say enough about it. Steinbeck's Grapes of Wrath. It's one of the only books that made me sob like a little bitch at the end. It's not an easy read, but it's so fucking important. And if you don't have a copy handy, we set up a link at bookshop.org slash shop slash UNFTRpod, where you can buy a copy and support local bookstores. As always, Unfucking the Republic is produced by Manny Faces Media. This is Baby Girl Faces. Peace. Our theme music was composed by Tom McGovern. Visit TomMcGovern.com. The show is hosted by Cadwalder P. Rittenhouse Jones III and distributed by Children in Sweatshops. Send us your comments, your questions, your suggestions to UNFTRpod at Gmail or connect with us on Twitter or Facebook, Instagram, or at unftr.substack.com to keep the conversation going between releases. <laughs>